Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Everything Economics. I am your host, Talia Murdoch, and I would like to begin by acknowledging that we are fortunate to be able to gather on the unceded territory of the Coast Salish people. Today, I will be diving into water, pun intended. There is plenty of water on planet Earth. Some places are abundant, receiving ample rainfall every year, while others are dry and dependent on groundwater or other innovative solutions. The problem is that as a globe, we haven't necessarily planned our economies around where water falls or is stored naturally, so we are faced with the challenge of how to get it, how to treat it, and how to move it so we can succeed. Unfortunately, these things are not easy, they are expensive, and they can be detrimental to precious ecosystems if not done with care. First, a basic lesson in what is known as the tragedy of the commons. The tragedy of the commons is an economic problem where individuals tend to exploit common goods or shared resources, so the overall demand far outweighs the supply. Overfishing is a perfect example of this. Before licenses, taxes, fines, etc., individuals were able to fish freely as much as they wanted, wherever they wanted, whenever they wanted. Now, when it was just people living off the land, this freedom wasn't really a problem as communities would more or less take their fair share of the fish stock. Over time, and particularly as technology evolves, industrial fishermen, even individual fishermen, would catch all the fish they possibly could, depleting the fish stock or the supply of fish in the area, so there is nothing left for future generations to enjoy. This happens because the resource is a common good, meaning it is rivalrous and non-excludable. Rivalrous meaning that the consumption of the good by one individual stops another individual from consuming it, and non-excludable meaning that it is not possible to prevent individuals who have not paid for it from having access to it. So to solve this particular tragedy, governments will often legislate such that individuals can only fish if they have the right license, only catch certain species and amounts of fish, most often only during certain seasons. They also impose fines on anyone who breaks these laws. It is something which has worked to replenish fish stocks and maintain their levels across the world. Water is also a common good, which, as we already know and comes as no surprise whatsoever, is subject to the tragedy of the commons. It is a shared resource. Me consuming it stops you from consuming it, and there is no way to exclude either of us from consuming it. Now, I just want to note that when I'm talking about non-exclusion and price, this is in its most basic form. For example, if a litre of water cost $1, that would be its price. This doesn't include the cost to, say, drive to a lake to get some water or buy a rod to catch some fish. We like to simplify reality in economics. All right, so water is a common good. It suffers the tragedy of the commons as individuals and companies exploit the resource more than it can supply. The United Nations Water Division is probably the best resource when it comes to researching current water conditions, risks and issues relating to water. They coordinate the, the efforts of UN entities and international organisations working on water and sanitation issues. There is a wealth of information on their website, so I just want to talk a bit about some of this information and what water looks like globally. I'll be unloading a lot of stats and discussing important challenges we face, so please bear with me as I really want to set the scene well here in this episode. I will be talking mostly about scarcity, consumption and sanitation broadly. Globally, water scarcity already affects two out of five people. 
A lack of water and poor water quality increases the risk of diarrhea, which kills approximately 2.2 million people every year, as well as trachoma, an eye infection that can lead to blindness and many other illnesses. Water is also directly linked to climate change, being the primary medium through which we feel its effects. Higher temperatures and more extreme, less predictable weather conditions will affect availability and distribution of rainfall, snowmelt, river flows and groundwater. This will impact pretty much all water supplies across the world, and less developed poorer countries will be hit the worst, as their infrastructure and economies will struggle to prepare for the change or to rebuild. Floods, landslides, tsunamis, storms, heatwaves, cold spells, droughts, and waterborne disease outbreaks are all, not surprisingly, manifested through water. So as they become harder to forecast and more severe, the impacts will become worse. If things do not change, 1.8 billion people are expected to be living in areas with absolute water scarcity, and two-thirds of the world population could be under water stress conditions by 2025. 2025 is six years away. By 2030, anywhere between 24 million and 700 million people will be displaced because of water scarcity. Now, these sorts of stats and predictions always make me think of Mad Max and how it isn't that far-fetched an idea for many parts of the world. I also note that many of those displaced will be from the very poor sub-Saharan Africa and small island nations. Some people will be able to flee to other countries, but the problem is a lot of these countries will also be feeling the effects of climate change and water scarcity and won't always have the tools to handle this situation either, seeing poorer countries become even more worse off than the rich countries. By 2050, rising populations in flood-prone lands, climate change, deforestation, loss of wetlands, and rising sea levels are expected to increase the number of people vulnerable to flood disaster to 2 billion worldwide. I cannot emphasize enough that natural disaster doesn't care about equal distribution, so we have to. So let's now talk a little bit about how water is consumed globally. Agriculture accounts for 70% of global water withdrawal. It typically takes 3,000 to 5,000 litres of water to produce one kilogram of rice, 2,000 litres for one kilogram of soy, and 900 litres for one kilogram of wheat, 500 litres for one kilogram of potatoes. Scientists, farmers and industry alike now consider extreme weather events as one of the most likely production risks over the next decade. An estimated 20% of the world's aquifers are being overexploited, leading to serious consequences such as land subsidence and saltwater intrusion, which I spoke about more on the California water episode. So you can go and listen to those to see what that means. Now, much of this is connected to agriculture use, as we tend to grow crops in places that aren't always suitable as they don't get enough rainfall to support crop growth. Not only do the majority of our current agriculture practices deplete groundwater supplies, not all do, obviously. Soil erosion from croplands carries away 25 to 40 billion tonnes of topsoil every year, significantly reducing crop yields and the soil's ability to regulate water, carbon and nutrients, with major negative effects on water quality. So mankind has intruded and we find ourselves not in an ideal situation. Second to agriculture is, of course, industry. 
Roughly 75% of all industrial water withdrawals are used for energy production, as 90% of global power generation is water intensive. In Europe, power plant cooling alone is responsible for 45% of freshwater withdrawals. In the US, this figure is 50%. Now the amount of water that industry consumes is expected to increase by 55% to 2050, mainly because of a 400% rise in demands from manufacturing. This will add even more pressure on global water supplies, as it isn't like agriculture demands are going to go away with this to balance out that increase. We need new ways to manage the way we use water in our world, because what we have been doing just isn't good enough. Some positive predictions do exist. The International Energy Agency has forecast that by 2035, withdrawals for energy production could increase by 20%, and consumption of this water will rise by 85%, as power plants become more efficient at cooling, leading to far less wastage of the water that is withdrawn by them, alongside the increased production of biofuels. Even with this though, we are still faced with an abundance of water-related risks now and in the future, as demand continues to exceed supply. Supply we can safely get to anyway. As water is essential to agriculture and industry, it is too essential to drinking and sanitation. Firstly, it is estimated that less than 20% of the world's drainage basins exhibit pristine water quality, meaning that most of the water we have access to to drink, if any, has to go through some form of treatment to become safe. Given that the urban population is estimated to grow to 6.3 billion people by 2050, this presents huge economic and social challenges. I mean, we are already facing huge economic and social challenges relating to access to clean drinking water and sanitation. In 2017, only 39% of the global population were reported to use safely managed sanitation services. More than 340,000 children under five die every single year from diarrheal diseases contracted due to poor sanitation, poor hygiene, or unsafe drinking water. Half of child malnutrition is associated with unsafe water and inadequate sanitation and hygiene. Whenever asked the question, not that it really comes up that often, what do you think is the best invention of all time? I always, always answer with underground sewage systems. It's something I know I take for granted as I was lucky enough to be born in a developed country and still live in the developed world. It takes a while for it to really sink in that not everyone has the same simple facilities, which are clearly so devastating. Universal access to safe drinking water and adequate sanitation and hygiene would, according to the World Health Organization, reduce the global disease burden by 10%. Something that does really frustrate me in doing this podcast is trivializing such devastation to losses in productivity, but alas, the stats are available and this is the world we live in. And water and sanitation-related disease may also cost countries up to 5% of GDP per year. Also, for every $1 invested in water and sanitation, an average of at least $4 is returned in increased productivity because of the wealth of positive externalities attached to something so simple as clean drinking water and sanitation. Consider also that in these poorer countries, without easy access to safe water and sanitation, gender inequalities exist on top of inequalities compared to richer nations. For example, about three quarters of households in sub-Saharan Africa fetch water from a source away from their home, and 50% to 85% of the time, 
women are responsible for this task. This stops women from being able to go to school and receive an education or find employment to support their family, among an endless number of things. In South Africa, in poor rural households, women who fetch water and fuel would spend 25% less time in paid employment. Reducing the time it takes to fetch water from 30 to just 15 minutes increased girls' school attendance by 12%, according to a study in Tanzania. Okay, I think I have talked enough this episode. Maybe not for a long amount of time, but I feel like I have laid down a lot of information. I haven't even talked about ecosystems and wetlands yet, but I'll do that next week. I do hope I have painted a clear picture of what we're dealing with as a globe when we're talking about water. It's about more than running out in the future, but distributing it equally across the world so everyone can access the same basic human right and enjoy a safer life. As always, thank you so much for listening. Next week, I'm going to keep talking about this topic. Who are some of the world's major players planning to secure their own nation's livelihood? What will the impacts be on others? Moreover, what if we just priced water appropriately? Or is that just too simple? So tune in next week for more. In the meantime, you can follow the show on Twitter at EveryEconomics or find the network at Cave Goblins across all social media platforms. I write out a script for every episode and this one has a lot of stats, so I think I'm going to post them on cavegoblins.com along with source links if you want to take a look at those in more detail. As I mentioned last week, I will be at Van Podfest next week, so if you're a local listener and will be there, there's a lot of awesome events going on and I hope to get to meet you. Again, thanks for listening. Please auto-download. I am Talia Murdoch and this has been Everything Economics.